but no one can say, oh, there's an agenda. You know, we're just going through the scriptures. And Lord, I, I've got, I say this often, I've got notes written down, Father, um, but I, I need your help to preach your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd meet with us, help everybody be attentive, help uh, no one to be a distraction, to uh, distract others, Father. And I, I pray you just please uh, be with us this tonight. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in uh, Genesis chapter number 41, and just by way of introduction, I'd like to point out a few things to you. Obviously, we've seen now, as we've gone through the life of Joseph, we've seen that he uh, was sold by his brothers into slavery, uh, brought down by the Ishmaelites into Egypt, Potiphar, the captain of the guard of Pharaoh, purchased him as a slave, uh, brought him into his house. Joseph became very successful there, became the second man in the house there. And then Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. And Joseph, having godly character and integrity, refused. She lied about him. She lied and said that he tried to uh, rape her and different things like that. And, And they didn't believe Joseph. They threw him into prison threw him into the dungeon, and while in prison there, uh, he, he uh, was able to interpret a couple of dreams for the butler and the baker of Egypt, of the, of the, of the pharaoh there, and they forgot about him, they were supposed to get him out, they forgot about him two years later, uh, pharaoh has a dream, and I understand we, we've gone through all this, and uh, Joseph there interprets the dream for pharaoh, and uh, does a great uh, work there. Now, I'd like to just show you a few things. When we started our study in in uh, the life of Joseph, I told you that Joseph was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, and often we find him representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like to just show a few things, a few of those things to you, just by way of introduction. If you go with me to Matthew chapter number three, I'd like you to look at verse number seventeen. You know, the first thing that Joseph uh, was, you could say, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ was this. If you remember, Joseph was beloved of his father. Joseph was beloved of his father. If you remember his father there, Jacob had uh, 12 sons, but Joseph he loved the most. And Joseph was the the child that he had with Rachel, the wife who he uh, originally intended to marry before he was tricked and stuff. And and Joseph was beloved of his father, and the Lord Jesus Christ is beloved of his father. If you look at Matthew chapter number 3, verse 17, the Bible says, And lo, this is when the Lord Jesus Christ was baptized, the Bible says, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The Bible tells us that Joseph was uh, beloved of his father. The Lord Jesus Christ was beloved of his father. Go with me to John. You're there in Matthew. Go to Mark, Luke, John, the fourth gospel. And look at John uh, chapter number one. John chapter number one. And I'd like you to see another picture of Joseph as the Lord Jesus Christ. Or... The Lord Jesus Christ in Joseph. Not only was Joseph beloved of his father, but Joseph, if you remember, was rejected by his brethren. His brethren hated him, and they sold him into slavery. And the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ in in John chapter number 1 and verse 11, it says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So the Lord Jesus Christ, like Joseph, was not only beloved of his father, he was rejected uh, of his brethren. Go back with me to Matthew chapter number 26. I know you're just there, but uh, go back to Matthew 26. Look at verse number 
15, Matthew 26, look at verse 15. Not only was Joseph beloved of his father, not only was Joseph rejected by his brethren, not only was the Lord Jesus Christ beloved by his father and rejected by his brethren, but they were both sold for silver. If you remember, his brother sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 26, 15, that the Lord Jesus Christ was sold for silver. It says in Matthew 26, 15, And said unto them, What will ye give me? This is Judas Iscariot speaking. And I will deliver him unto you. And they co- uh, covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. The Lord Jesus Christ was sold for 30 pieces of silver. But if you, uh, you know, go with, me, go with me to Ephesians chapter number 5. And I'll read for you out of Genesis 41. We said Joseph was... Beloved of his father, Joseph was rejected by his brethren, Joseph was sold for silver, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, if you, I'll read for you out of Genesis 41, verse number 45, the Bible says about Joseph, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Saphnath-Peneah, and he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, and Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. The Bible tells us that Joseph was married to a Gentile. He was accepted, if you will, by a Gentile wife. And the Bible tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're there in Ephesians chapter number 5, and you look down at verse number 22, the Bible says this, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Amen and amen. I know that goes against the philosophy of this world, but it's in the Bible, and we don't apologize for that. The Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Do you see the analogy there that the Bible is making? God is saying, you know, in the same way that a wife ought to submit to her husband, the church ought to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and He gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And you know, it seems here as if uh, Paul and the Holy Spirit is talking about the relationship of husband and wife, and they are obviously, and we can learn from that. And we understand that the Bible says that a wife ought to submit herself to her husband. I don't care how old-fashioned that sounds. I don't care how outdated that sounds. That's what the Bible says. The man ought to rule the house is what the Bible says. But on the flip side, God says, Hey, husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So see, a husband that loves his wife to the point where he would give his life for his wife, is not going to be a tyrant to his wife. He's not going to be mean and rude to his wife. But his wife ought to submit, what the Bible says. But, you know, we read all this passage, and in verse 32, he spells it out. He says this. He says, This is a great mystery. He said, the relationship of a husband and wife is a great mystery. And mainly the mystery there lies with the women, not the men. <laughs> but in verse 32, he says, he says, this is a great mystery. But notice he says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. 
He says, I know like it sounds like I'm preaching about a husband and wife, and you can use these analogies for a husband and wife, but he says, I'm really teaching you about Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And by the way, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but that's, that's the roles in marriage right there. The... The Bible said, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular. So, the husband ought to love his wife even as himself. The Bible commands the man to love his wife. The Bible never commands a woman to love his, her husband. The Bible tells us that the elder women ought to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. But the Bible never commands the women to love their husbands. The Bible commands men to love their husbands. The Bible commands women to reverence their husband. To submit to their husband. And, that's the, and by the way, that's, the, that's authority at all times. The, the, you know, the Bible never commands a parent to love their children. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. It, it never commands... The, I, I, mis, I, I misspoke. The Bible, never, the Bible commands parents to love their children. But, you know, children are told... They're not told to love their parents. They're just told to obey their parents. You know, and the, and the chain... You know, in, in the Bible, the chain of command, when someone is an authority, those who are underneath them, you're never told to love the person. It's good if you love them, but you're told to just obey and those who are in authority are always told to love. We ought to love our children, and, and, and we ought to love our wives. But those who are put under authority, their job is to obey. And like I said, I don't have nothing to do with sermon. But I want you to know, know this. Uh, go, go with me in 1 Timothy chapter number 3. Look at verse 16. It's a few uh, pages to the right. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. Look at verse number 16. The Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness... Look what it says. God was manifest in the flesh. That's Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus wasn't God. Don't let these Jehovah's Witnesses come around here and tell you, Well, Jesus wasn't God. Jesus, the Bible says, God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the Spirit. Seen of angels. Preached unto the Gentiles and believed on in the world. Received up into, the, into glory. You know that Jesus Christ, who, who accepted the Lord Jesus Christ more as their Savior? The Gentiles or the Jews? Well, we know, the, we, know, we know it was the Gentiles. And just, and the Bible uses this analogy of the church, which we know that's a congregation of believers, <coughs> as being the wife of Joseph. You know, it's very interesting. Joseph was beloved of his father, rejected by his brethren, sold for silver, and he was accepted by a Gentile wife. And the Lord Jesus Christ was beloved of his father, rejected by his brethren, sold for silver, and he was accepted by Gentile church. Isn't that interesting? All those different analogies. And by, and, and by the way, everything I told you right now has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just introduction. Yeah. Go back to Genesis 41. Don't you love Verity Baptist Church? You get more Bible in our introductions than most churches preach in a year. <laughs> Genesis chapter number 41. Look at what the Bible says. Genesis chapter number 41. Joseph has been badly hurt Badly betrayed. I don't know if you could imagine what it would feel like to have your brothers sell you into slavery. I don't know about you, but that would upset me. Especially if it cost you 13 years of your life. Especially if it cost you 13 years of your teens and 20s. You spent your youth in a dungeon because your brothers were jealous of you, because a woman lied about you. And in the next chapter, 
chapter number 42. Joseph is going to be confronted with his brothers. And Joseph is going to meet his brothers, but the tables have turned now. Joseph is now the second most powerful man in the world. And he could literally do anything to his brothers. It's a very beautiful story, and I can't wait till we get into those chapters, into those passages. But Joseph forgives his brethren after the pain and the hurt and the betrayal. And by the way, that's just another picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, in the next couple moments here, I'd like to show you a few things out of chapter 41. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision. Forgiveness is not necessarily an emotion or something that you... It's something you decide to do. But here's what I've learned about forgiveness as I've been studying this passage, is that forgiveness doesn't just happen. You must prepare to forgive. And God must work in your heart to forgive. And you may say, that you know, this sermon doesn't apply to me. You know, at some point in your life, at some point in all of our lives, we will be hurt, we will be wronged, we will be betrayed, and we will need to forgive someone. And if you say, I don't have that situation right now, just listen to the sermon, just tuck it away in your mind. Maybe one day you'll need it. Maybe one day you can give it advice to, some, as, to someone. But I'd like to show you how Joseph prepared for forgiveness. If you look at verse 46 in chapter 41, the Bible says, in Genesis 41 and verse 46, the Bible says, And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. I know we talked about this last week. When did he get sold into slavery? 17. 30 years old. 13 years later. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And the seven... And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities, and the food of the field which was round about every city, laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And these two sons, they represent to us tonight how Joseph prepared to forgive his brothers. And let's just go ahead and get into the sermon. Point number one is this. If you look down at verse number 51, the Bible says, And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil, and to all my father's house. The name Manasseh means, for God hath made me forget all my toil. He named his son Manasseh when Manasseh was born. He said, you know, I, I feel like something that God has done in my heart and in my life is that He's allowed me to forget all the toil and all the work and all the pain and all the suffering and all the, the hurt that I've gone through in the last few years. He, he's caused me to forget that and He's caused me to not uh, remember that. And, and this was the first step in the preparation of Joseph's life in order to be able to look at his brothers face to face and instead of having wrath against them, have compassion and forgive them. Who's ever heard this, this phrase before? Forgive and forget. I'm sure we all have. And you know, the, the, the phrase forgive and forget is a bad phrase. It doesn't work. 
Oftentimes, we try to forgive, but we have trouble with forgetting. And see, the problem is that we've got it backwards. You don't forgive and then forget. You must first forget, and then you're able to forgive. You're not ready, Joseph, to meet your brothers, to forgive your brothers, until Manasseh comes. And the Lord has caused you to forget all my toil. It's not forgive and forget. It's actually forget and forgive. Now, forgetting is a biblical principle. The Bible tells us that God forgets about our sins. It's a very biblical principle. I'd like you to go with me to Isaiah. Uh, If you find there, open up your Bibles. Go to the the prophets there towards the end. Isaiah is the first major prophet. Isaiah is the first big book of the prophets there. And if you look at Isaiah chapter number 38, I'd like you to look at verse number 17. Isaiah chapter number 38, and look at verse number 17. I'd like to just show you for a few minutes how God forgets our sin, when God forgives us. The Bible says in Isaiah 38, 17, the Bible says, Behold, for peace I have had great bitterness, but thou... In love to my soul, delivered it from the pit of corruption. Remember we were talking about that this morning? He brought you up out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He says, to my soul, delivered it from the pit of corruption. How do you do that? Look, colon, how do you deliver you out of the pit? Look what he says. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. The Bible says that God has taken your sins and cast them behind his back. Put them in the backside of his memory and of his... If they're not ever before him, they're not in his presence, he casts them in the back. Go with me to Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews, towards the end of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter number 8. Look at verse number 12. Hebrews chapter number 8. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says this. Hebrews chapter number 12. Chapter number 8, excuse me. Verse number 12, the Bible says this, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And look what the Bible says, And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. God says He will not remember your sins or your iniquities when He forgives you of your sins, when He saves you from your sins. Go with me to Hebrews chapter number 10. Look at verse number 17. Hebrews chapter number 10, look at verse number 17. The Bible says, And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Go with me to Psalm 103. If you open up your Bible there, in the middle of your Bible, you're more than likely following the book of Psalm. Psalm 103, look at verse number 12. Psalm 103, look at verse number 12. I know we're looking at a lot of passages. What's new? Psalm 103, look at verse number 12. The Bible says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that beautiful? The Bible says, As far as the east is from the west. You know what's so beautiful about God using that analogy is this. If I get on an airplane, and I start traveling north, in the circumference of the earth, You know that eventually I will stop going north and I will begin to go south? Same, if I get an airplane, start going south. South, south, south. Eventually I will stop going south and I'll start going north. But you know if you get an airplane, you start going east, around the earth. You know you'll never catch up to west. You'll always be going east. You get an airplane, you start going west, around the earth. You'll never never get to the other side. And I think it's very 
beautiful that God doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. Because see, the problem with the north and the south is that those two points can meet. But he says, as far as the east is removed, or as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You know what God was saying? God was saying when you got saved, he took your transgressions and he put you on opposite ends, and you can go around the entire earth, and your sins and your transgressions will never catch up with you. They will never be remembered by him. He will cast them behind his back. He, he, he has erased them from his memory bank. He will never remember them again. You know, I grew up in church my entire life, and I was taught that, you know, at the judgment seat of Christ, when we stand before God, every single one of us is going to have to give an account for God, you know. I was always, and it, it, they almost make it like this, they always like, God's going to have like this big screen TV in heaven, and He's going to show you your whole life, and everybody's going to watch all the sins you perform, and you're going to have to give an account for those things. You know how wicked it is to teach that? And I've been taught that every church I've ever been to. I will, you know, the Bible says that he has cast his sin, my sins behind his back. He says he will remember them no more. I will never answer to God for my sins. Period. I will never have to give an account for my sins. You say, you know, if, 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 if I get to heaven and I'm questioned about it, what about this? You know, I don't have to worry about it. You know why? Because it's been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that punishment has been taken by God. And as far as the east is from the west, as for, he, he says he will not remember it. He's cast me behind his back. He will remember them no more. My, my sins will never be mentioned to me. Amen and amen. amen. Now at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says, we, and one of these days I'll preach a sermon on the judgment seat of Christ, so you understand it. The Bible says we will be judged based on our works. The work that we did for the Lord Jesus Christ. But look, my answer for my sin is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His sins, my sins will never be brought up to me. I've been forgiven, and God has forgotten them. But I'd like you to see, if you go with me to Genesis 27, say, Pastor, amen, that's all well and good. But we as human beings are so emotional, and so finite, we do not have the ability to just erase our memories. So how is it that I can forget about the hurt that has, someone has done for me. And I want you to understand this. When God forgets about our sins, He forgets them. He erases them. But when the Bible talks about man forgetting, I'd like you to notice what it says. Genesis 27, verse 45. Do you remember when uh, Jacob was, uh, had, had wronged his brother Esau? And Esau had found out what he had done. And Jacob is getting ready to go. If you look there uh, and look at Genesis chapter number uh, 27, verse 45. The Bible says uh, in Genesis 27, 45, uh, Jacob's mother said, there said to, to Jacob, he said, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee. Because remember, his brother was really angry that uh, Jacob lied and stole his blessing. And, he, and she said, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forgets that which thou hast done to him. Then I will send and fetch thee from thence. Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? So you notice he says, that, hey, you know, why don't you just go out of town for a while till your, uh, till, till your brother's anger turn away and he forget that which thou hast done to him. Now, did she mean that Esau was just going to forget about what he, Jacob did? I don't even remember. Oh, he stole my blessing? I don't even remember that. That's not what she's talking about. But she's talking about when the Bible talks about men women forgetting, it's talking about the process of letting something go. 
She said, look, go, why don't you leave till he's no longer angry? And then come back. Once he's forgotten. Go with me to Philippians. Let me show you another example of this in the New Testament. Philippians chapter number 3. Look at verse number 13. Philippians chapter number 3. Look at verse number 13. And the Apostle Paul says this. Philippians chapter number 3 verse 13. Paul said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Notice what he says. Forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If you remember the Apostle Paul, he had persecuted Christians, he had killed Christians, he had consented unto their death, he had taken Christians out of their house and brought them into prison, he had done so many bad things, and the Apostle Paul, when he got saved, he said, you know what, in my Christian life, he said, I can't go back and I can't make right all those things I do, I did, and I, and I, haven't, I can't forget about them. And we'll get into that as we continue on in the book of Acts. You, you'll realize that Paul has such a burden for Jerusalem. You're wondering, why does he have such a burden for Jerusalem? Why does he want to go back to Jerusalem? They're going to kill him there. But he's got a burden for them because he persecuted them. Because he hurt those people. But he says, you know, in order for me to live my Christian life, he said, I'm I forgetting those things which are behind. Is that about erasing his mind? I don't even remember all the persecution. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, there comes a point where you just have got to let it go. You forget about it. I'd like you to keep your place there in Philippians. Stick your bulletin there or something because we'll be coming back to it. But go with me back to Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter number 37. The best way it was explained to me was this. And I'd like you to know this. I wrote this sermon before I got in the news of Miss Joanna Lewis passing away. And this analogy was already in my sermon. And I just decided not to take it out. But you know, being betrayed by someone, being hurt by someone, it's a grieving process. It's a mourning process. We can, we can use the death of a loved one as an example. Mourning or grieving is a process of coming to grips with the hurt. When an individual dies, and we know this all too well recently, the first thing that I, the first thing I thought of, I don't know about you, is this: How, how did they die? I just saw them. You know what I'm talking about? I, I just saw them. And see that grieving process, that mourning process, is taking that loss of an individual from the presence of your life, from the presence of your life, from being able to have access to them, and taking that individual and putting them. In the past. It's, in a way, forgetting. And we understand we're not talking about forgetting. We love their memory. But you've got to transition that individual from, I see them every Sunday. I spend time with them. I, you know, I'm married to them. 
to they're no longer with us. And that grieving process, that mourning process, is what does that. And you know, when you grieve someone, when someone dies, we grieve and we mourn for them. But eventually you stop. Nobody mourns their whole life. And I'm not saying the hurt will always be there. We understand that. But eventually people get on with their lives. And when you've been hurt or betrayed and you need to forgive, it's the same way. You've got to grieve that hurt. You've got to mourn that pain. But at some point, like Joseph said, for God had made me forget all my toys. And you know what Joseph, this is what Joseph was saying. I'm done grieving, I'm done mourning, and I'm getting ready to move on with my life. I'm forgetting my toil. Those memories will always be there. That I, I, they cannot be erased. But I'm now going to put that in my past, and I'm going to let go. I'm going to realize that there's nothing I can do to change it. When someone dies, it hurts us. There's nothing we can do to change it. And by the way, let me say this. Take time. Take the time you need to grieve. Take the time you need to mourn. As long as it takes, do it. If you, if you look there in Genesis 37, verse 2, we talked about this already. The Bible says, the first part of verse 2, it says, These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old. We saw there in Genesis 41 that when he appeared before Pharaoh, he was a 30-year-old man. There, Genesis 41, 46, and Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. 13 years went by. And another seven plenteous years, if you're familiar with the story, went by before he met his brothers in the seven years of famine. Do you understand what I'm saying? A total of 20 years went by from when Joseph last saw his brothers betraying him and selling him into slavery before he saw them again. And you say, why did God leave uh, Joseph in prison for so long? In slavery for so long? Why did God allow all that time? And I don't know, but maybe one of the reasons is because Joseph needed 20 years to grieve, 20 years to mourn, 20 years before he could truly forget. Maybe, one of those, maybe that's the reason. And what I'm trying to tell you is this. If you find yourself in a situation where you've been betrayed or you've been hurt, grieve that loss and take as long as you need. No one can tell you how long to grieve. No one can tell you how long to mourn. But, I, but let me tell you something. Uh, you need to understand this. The first step to being ready to forgive Joseph, you're going to meet your brothers. The first step to forgiving is this. You must come to grips. You must let it go. You must forget before you forgive. Number two, in preparing to forgive, look at Genesis 41, look at verse 52. Genesis 41, verse 52. The Bible says, In the name of the second called he Ephraim. So he had two sons. And look what he says. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. The name Ephraim means, For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Notice, I'd like you to notice this about Joseph. Joseph did not have a victim mentality. 
Joseph didn't walk around moping and crying, I, I've been wrong, and, and they've hurt me, and, and things aren't right. And Everywhere he went, Joseph had a good attitude. He had an attitude where he wanted to work, he wanted to get busy, he wanted to get with it. Joseph just decided in his, in his mind, if I'm going to be in the land of affliction, I'm at least going to be fruitful while I'm in the land of affliction. He said, I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm not going to let this, uh, you know, slow me down. I'm not going to allow this to let me quit. Uh, if I'm going to be in the land of my affliction, if I'm going to be in the land where I'm lied about, where I'm sold, where I'm mistreated, where, where things aren't fair, I'm at least going to be fruitful while I'm there. Joseph was learning this word, to be content. I told you to keep your place there in Philippians. I'd like you to go back to it. Look at Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4. That word content. You know what that word content means? We've got a few people here who speak Spanish. Blanca speaks Spanish fluently, and I know obviously my dad and my brother speak Spanish. Who knows what the Spanish word for happy is? Those of you who speak Spanish again. Felicidad, that's a good one. You're in the Christmas mode. What's another word for Spanish? Who knows? You know? Feliz. Oh, I'm, that's not the word I'm looking for, though. There's another word. You know what it is? Contento. Contento. Contenta. If you're a, if you're a, if you're a female, a girl. Sorry, military language. And you know the word content comes from the same root word as the Spanish word for happy. Contento. You know what the word content means? It means this: to be happy. It means to be satisfied. It means to be not lacking. And Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 11, Paul says this. Now if you remember, we've been going through the book of Acts. Have you been with us on Wednesday nights? And Paul has been stoned to death. Some believe. I would agree. He's been whipped with stripes. He's been thrown in prison. He's had all these... And and even more things are going to happen to him in his life. And Paul said this in Philippians chapter number 4 and verse 11. He says, Not that I speak in respect of one. He says, For I have learned... Notice what he says. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. He says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Somebody said this. He must have never been in the state of Kentucky. (laughs) I don't know if that's true. I don't like to say that Kentucky. I'll tell you that right now. And if you're from Kentucky, I'm sorry. You can still live for God. You can still do right. But look at it, Philippians chapter 4.11. Paul said, not that I speak in respect of one. He said, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Look at verse 12. He said, I know both how to be abased, that's submit, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Notice what he says. We quote this this verse a lot, but notice the context of the passage. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But what's the context of that verse? I can do all things? The context is this. Hey, I can abound. I can be abased. I can be full. I can be hungry. It doesn't matter if I'm in tribulation. If I'm if I'm in Canaan with my dad, with my brothers, with my mother. If I'm in Egypt in slavery, if I'm in prison, if I've been lied about, it doesn't matter where I stand. I've learned this one thing: to be content, to be happy, to be satisfied. Joseph was learning to be content, and notice Joseph chose, and this is very important. Joseph chose to be content in the land of 
his affliction. He didn't choose to be content in Canaan. He chose to be content in Egypt. See, anyone can be content in Canaan. Under the protection of your father, in your home, with your loving family. See, anybody can be content when they've got the nice job, when they've got the money coming in, when they've got no health issues, when they've got no problems, when things are successful and God seems to be blessing. Hey, that's easy to be content. You don't have to choose to be content. That happens natural. But maybe when your wife does. Maybe when your children get sick. Maybe when you lose your job, you lose your family, you lose your marriage, you lose your home, you lose whatever you have in your life. In the land of your affliction, the place where you're at because someone betrayed you, because someone lied about you, because someone hurt you, that's where you must learn to be happy. Satisfied. Content. And see... Joseph's contentment must come before his forgiveness. When you forgive, you are giving up your right to be upset and to be angry. You are looking past the hurt that you have. You are giving them that pass. And you can only do that when you're satisfied and content with God. Because Joseph could look at God and say, God, I lost 13 years of my life in slavery and in prison. I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything to be there. I was sold by my brothers. I was lied about. And he could have got bitter and he could have got upset. But you know, Joseph had this attitude. He said, hey, God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He said, even though I was wrong, even though I, I don't, that's not what I wish would have happened. That's not how I wanted my life to turn out. I know this, that God has been with me. His hand has been upon me. It wasn't my idea to go here. It wasn't my plan to do this. But while I'm here, I'm going to be fruitful. While I'm here, I'm going to be satisfied. While I'm here, I'm going to be content. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be right. I'm going to be glad. And here's the, here's the thing. You can only forgive when you're satisfied. See, if you constantly feel like you're ripped off, like you're missing something, like someone took something from you, you're not ready to forgive. And, and it's okay to feel like that. That's part of the grieving process. But when you can come to the point and say, you know what? I didn't. I didn't want my brothers to sell me. But if that's God's will, I'm satisfied with it. I didn't want Potiphar's wife to lie about me and throw me in prison. But if that's God's will, I'm content. I didn't want my husband to hurt me that way, or my wife to hurt me that way, or my children to betray me like that, or my siblings, or my parents, or my neighbors, or whatever, or whoever has done you wrong, or done you hurt, whoever is in your mind that you must hurt. You may say, I didn't want them to do that. That's not how I would have chose my life to go. But now that it's happened, I'm just going to be in whatsoever state I am. There with to be content. You are not ready to forgive. Until you are content with your circumstances. And if you go back to Genesis 41. Look at what it says. 
You say, how do I get content, Pastor? You will not be content until you identify God's goodness in your life. Look at verse 51. And Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. You know what, you know what Joseph was saying? He was saying, I'm identifying the goodness of God, the things He has done for me. And when you identify, when you put your focus on the good things that God has done in your life, you can say, you know what? God's a good God. And you can be content. Here's, here's the problem. We often identify what is gone and fail to identify what is given. I don't know how to tell someone to forgive. I honestly don't. Forgiving is a hard thing. I wish I, wish I could. I wish I could give you a three-step process to one, two, three, and you forgive anybody. I can't tell you how to do that. But I can tell you this. Joseph would never have been ready to meet his brothers and to forgive them when he had the power to put them all to death to get revenge just like Jesus Christ has the power to send us to hell but yet chooses to forgive us even though we've done him wrong when he had all that power he would have never been ready to fa- and see the Bible puts things in order for a reason you know I used to think to myself when I was younger you know a teenager whatever I'd be reading through the Bible I always wonder to myself you know why does the Bible just kind of mention Joseph's sons there and then just kind of like we don't hear about them again for many chapters. Until Jacob's getting ready to bless them. And even then, they're mentioned very little. And see, it's, it's perfect because Joseph just came out of prison, was advanced by Pharaoh, became the most powerful man, and right before he meets his brothers, we find out he had two sons. One identified that he forgot his wrong. The other identified that he acknowledged God's goodness. And then, Joseph is ready for chapter 42, to meet his brothers. And I, I wish I could tell you how to forgive. I, I don't know how to do that. But I can tell you this. You will never be ready to forgive until you first you forget your toil. It's not forgive and forget. It's actually forget, learn to be content, and then you have the ability to forgive. It takes time. You say, how long is it going to take before I can forgive so-and-so? I don't know. Maybe 20 years. I don't know. It's a grieving process. It's a mourning process. But it's something God commands us to do. You know that God commands us to forgive? And to the best of our ability, we ought to work to try to forgive those who have hurt us. And Joseph's such a beautiful illustration of a young man who did nothing... You know, oftentimes when... You know, we do bad things, you know, but Joseph, the Bible doesn't mention, up, up to this point, hasn't really mentioned anything, uh, maybe a lapse of judgment there by going into uh, Potiphar's house by himself, but other than that, he hasn't really done anything wrong, yet he still managed to forgive these people. Isn't that, isn't that great? And we ought, to, we ought to strive to be like Joseph, who was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for... Uh, our church father and I don't know if that's a sermon that anybody needed to hear or whatever but Lord I know that we can at least uh, put it in the back of our mind and maybe one day we'll need it 
or maybe one day we can give it as we can help somebody who might need it. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to, if we find ourselves needing to forgive, help us to understand it's a choice, it's a decision, it's not something that just happens. Joseph had to prepare to forgive. God worked in his heart to forgive. Father, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. All right, well,